Hello, everyone. Asan here from the Weekly Regular. Um, I just wanted to let you guys know about a new podcast that I am a part of. It is called Carl Calls His Cousin. Uh, it is a conversation uh, that happens twice a week. Uh, it's a real Zoom video phone call between me and my cousin Carl, who is a comedian and uh, TV writer and actor who you may have seen on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, bunch of other stuff. Uh, super funny guy. Uh, we have a lot in common and we have a very interesting story about how we realized that we were cousins, um, in our thirties. <laughs> so if you're uh, at all interested in that show, if you enjoy this show and want to hear more of me, uh, talk about myself and, and reminisce on childhood and, and sort of foster a relationship with my newfound Hollywood cousin, my real cousin, uh, you should check out the show. It's called Carl Calls His Cousin. It is a uh, Patreon-only show. So uh, if you want to check out episodes of it, just go to patreon.com slash theflagrantones. That is the mother podcast, uh, if you will, uh, the mothership. Um, yeah, go there. Subscriptions to the show are only $4 a month. That's one cup of coffee a month. Uh, check it out. We all need a little extra Skrilla during the uh, the pandemic. So if you like this podcast and want to support, you can do that by going to the uh, patreon.com slash the flagrant ones. Uh, yeah, and you'll see Carl calls his cousin listed there. You can subscribe for $4 a month. Thanks a lot. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Weekly Regular. My name is Asan, uh, as always. Um, I am joined today by a very special guest of the show, good friend of the show at this point, good personal friend of mine. Welcome back to the show, Bitcoin Drew. What's up, Drew? Hey, what's up? Did you notice I was wearing my Bitcoin hat? Oh, I see that. Drew's wearing a, uh, a black baseball cap with a, looks like a Boston Red Sox B, but it's like in black and white yeah it's the bitcoin b nice thanks for having me back hey thanks for uh being back and coming on the show uh how's your uh how was your holiday and new year's eve and all of that goodness um it was good uh we're just kind of with like our closest family and of course. a couple zoom calls mm -hmm. um we actually my wife and i actually had covid um like almost two months ago mm -hmm. um which in some ways was a little bit of a, a blessing in disguise because yeah, what was uh, that like? Then we were kind of like free afterwards, uh, and we're at <laughs> least for a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't that bad. Uh, we both were uh, kind of like just a long cold. I had a cold for probably a week, mm -hmm. um, and I was really tired. That was probably the only difference. Okay. And my wife was pretty much the same way. Um, I uh, uh, she got it a week after me, and so it ended up being like kind of a long time that people couldn't be around us. We get right. a lot of help from our parents with our son. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, it was, uh, it wasn't too bad. Fortunately. Now, did your, your son didn't contract it or anything? Uh, he got it. Um, okay. For him, it was definitely way more mild even than us. Okay. Uh, kind of slept a lot. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Okay, cool. And then, uh, so that, that happened over the holiday break. Uh, that was over Thanksgiving. Over Thanksgiving, uh, okay. Week, it was the week before Thanksgiving, and so we were like, the reason why I say that is because we were like 
finally completely in the clear by the t- time like Christmas rolled around. Mm, um, okay. So we get we get to see my parents and my wife's parents. That makes sense. Okay. How was your Christmas and whatnot? Uh, it was good, I guess. Um, <laughs> it was different, obviously. My yeah. my family's usually do, does a really big Christmas, obviously. Uh, where is um, it usually yeah. hosted? My grandparents live out in Indio. Okay. Um, and they usually have out in the desert, in the middle of nowhere, Coachella yeah, Valley, kind of thing. everybody out there. Um, and so we just had a Zoom call with my grandparents, my cousins, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's about it. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Well, uh, how's Bitcoin doing? You, I mean, you might as well give us an update while you're here. <laughs> uh, it's killing it. Um, okay. We we broke forty thousand dollars today. Um, what does that mean? Well, I think when we talked about it when you had me on the podcast to talk specifically about Bitcoin. I think it was at about eight, 8,000. Uh, yeah. So it's gone up about five times since uh, the first time we talked about it. So everything's going according to plan. Mm-hmm. And, as and a at, nice... at what point do you like, at what, so are you, at what point do you like cash it out or do you? Uh, I'll probably hold on to some forever. The The whole idea would be that, um, well, I guess the way that people talk about it is that at some point it gets so big and the price gets so high that then it starts to get more stable um, because people just value it and it's accepted and it stops being as volatile um, in the same way that you might with just holding onto your stocks or 401k or whatever mm-hmm. savings account, whatever investments you have. At some point it would turn into something like that as opposed to the crazy volatility that it has. So I'll probably hold on to uh, quite a bit of it for a, a lot longer, but um, we'll see. Do you think the, the the value of Bitcoin will go down as um, the social kind of political climate uh, cools off? If if and when uh, it does that, I don't know. I think that's a good question. That was going to be my segue. Um, well, the interesting thing is that so it hadn't broken thirty six k, and it did yesterday, mm. like with the news gotcha. like literally at that moment um it went up like a thousand dollars um wow as soon as i was getting up to, i got like notifications on my phone that it, it went through thirty six thousand at the same time that all my friends were texting me and probably the same time you were trying to call me while my son was crying <laughs> um, yeah and and uh so i mean yeah that's what it's for, supposed to be built for so i don't okay. know we'll see all right well uh let's uh Let's get into a couple topics. There's a lot of stuff going on uh, in the news right now um, regarding the federal government and Congress and the president. And, of course, um, the state capitol was uh, under siege last night um, by a group of thousands of, of people. Um, so, so let, I mean, we, we haven't talked. When was the last time we talked? It's been a while, right? It was before, yeah, it's been a couple months. Was it before the election? Yeah. Okay. I'd say it's been probably almost three months. Okay. So, yeah. uh, Joe Biden is now president elect. Mm-hmm. Um, supposedly. So yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. If the facts are to be believed and democracy is to be trusted, um, <laughs> and, and conspiracies to be ignored. Um, oh. so I guess we could start there with conspiracy thinking because I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of conspiracy thinking, I think, is is sort of um, at the 
at the uh, either at or around the base level of a lot of the the kind of let's just let's be charitable about it and call it um um not so normal behavior that's going on right now um what so what have you experienced a lot of conspiracy thinking do you know a lot of people who like tap into conspiracy thinking and like are of that kind of ilk and like what's been your experience with like conspiracy theories and that kind of thing either politically or otherwise yeah i've got i've got some friends and Mm -hmm. family um who entertain this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um as much as i'm you know very into critical thinking and whatnot Mm -hmm. and i think there's a really fine line there right um i've never remotely entertained anything like conspiracy theories um, it was, it's kind of what we talked about before, but they just can't be proven, proven true and they can't be proven false. Like, right. Like, mm-hmm. so Trump went through all the courts and, you know, sued everybody up and down the entire country. And basically nothing has come out. That's any kind of real substantial evidence that this happened. Right. Right. Um, but the conspiracy theorist doesn't care. Right. The whole point is that it's a conspiracy. That's why, right. you know, there is no data. It's like, okay, well, you basically what you're saying is just believe whatever you want to believe and we should believe whatever we want to believe. Right. And we believe that your conspiracy is wrong. So it's just, I mean, I think it's a, um, I think people search for, I actually watched a lot of, you know what I did when I had COVID? Uh, I watched (laughs) a lot of really weird right wing documentaries like prime um, because there are lots of them, like really crazy ones. Um, Like what, like what are some of the ones you watched? Uh, stuff about like the Illuminati and Q and I can't even think of names of ones, but um, like what's that thing where they like all the supposedly all the world leaders like go out into the woods and have like weird sex orgies. What's that called? It's like a weird <laughs> name for it. It's like, uh, it's called the federal reserve. No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, don't there's know. like some name for it. Like, like some like, like have location name or something. I don't remember. It's called have like, the- I can't remember. <laughs> Have you seen the movie The Hunt? No, what is The Hunt? Uh, it's like one of these, uh, I don't know if you'd call it B-horror, but one of these like... Like a grindhouse kind of movie? No, I'm, I am suck at film genres. Let's say it's like, okay. um, kind of like Zombieland. Yeah, that's like a, like a grindhouse. That's what they're, okay. those, those kinds of movies are called. It's like, it's like gory and it's like funny, scary. Yeah, yeah. Grindhouse. Um, yeah, kind of like exploitation-y kind of horror grindhouse kind of stuff. Yeah, I got you. I, anyway, got you I watched that. it. I watched it last night and, and the conspiracy theory in that movie is, uh, <laughs> it's a joke. It's called Manorgate. And it's this <laughs> idea that like the, uh, the rich and powerful go to this manor where they hunt people. Uh, like they call them like the Hillary Clinton. There's a lot of like social political commentary in the movie, but like oh. she was known for that basket of deplorables uh-huh. comment that she made. Um, and so they hunt deplorables. They, uh, gotcha. they abduct like rednecks and then they go like shoot them in the woods. And uh, anyway, I, I just don't, I only, I only bring that up as a, a cultural reference, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I, I've never been really drawn to conspiracy theories. I think people are searching for, um, they just want something more to be the case other than like democracy's tough or sucks or life is hard, right? Like life is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, democracy is not going to give you the results you want a lot of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. The people that you don't want to be in power are going to be in power a lot of the time. Um, and so people are, really want something to be the case that isn't. Um, yeah. Other than life sucks is kind of the answer. Yeah. I think 
conspiracy uh, when people hear i think we should maybe stay away from like we as in like culturally and like in the media and stuff should maybe get away from from saying conspiracy thinking or conspiracy theory because i think when people hear that they automatically go to like ufos and bigfoot or like Mm -hmm. jfk assassination and stuff like that um i think like the phenomenon of conspiracy thinking specific to american politics right now i think has a lot more to do with um it has more to do with uh, sort of tribalism and um, identity politics than anything. I think it's um, because we're so sequestered off into our different like teams and stuff like that. Like there, are, okay, it's it's uh when something happens that is opposite to opposite of your team's desires or is in opposition to whatever your team is expecting or whatever, like. Mm you are we are as human beings we've evolved to like like to be we've evolved to like find patterns and things and to make things make sense and to find you know um to find the pieces of the puzzle uh so much even if they're not there and that's an evolutionary like sort of advantage that we have over other you know other creatures is like you know it served us well you know if Mm -hmm. you know if you're if your best friend got eaten by a tiger after the bush rattled then, you know, if the bush rattles again, you're going to assume there's a tiger there. Um, and I think that is kind of the thinking that is kind of proliferating our politics right now. It's the idea that and in the in the, the the insidious part of it is that so much of conspiracy thinking around politics is rooted in some grain of truth. Like the idea that let's take the the presidential election, the idea that there are people, even people in power who, if they could, would push to get their side elected through nefarious means, right? Like, I'm willing to say that about either side of the spectrum politically. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a big leap in logic that I'm not willing to take where people say, well, the line of thinking goes, well, because there are people who, given the opportunity, would do that, it's safe to assume that if that outcome does happen, like if if the opposition does win, it is therefore because a group of those people, however many they are and however large they are in number who would do nefarious things have conspired together to do nefarious things. And that is the only way that this outcome could have happened. And I think that's the problem. And it's once you have, if you take conspiracy thinking like that and combine it with um, people who are, have basically bought into like a cult of personality with someone like Donald Trump and yeah. basically take whatever he's he such says. such a weird personality to buy into, like, to me. like Yeah, well, that's the thing. He's a conservative figurehead. Sure, like everybody needs an idol, but my word. Yeah, he's I. A weird one. <laughs> yeah, well, I think he's the um, Donald Trump is sort of like the um, he's he's the perfect. Uh, he's the perfect figurehead for this kind of cult, given where we are with society right now, where people because because social media has condensed like all of our thought about the world into like the most distilled form of it and oftentimes that equals the most perverted version of it um because everything is so headline based and everything is distilled into like so what used to be complex like kind of nuanced thought about things with you know different ideas and conflicting things or you have to debate about and think about what social media does is just condense those things down to, you know, 140 characters or less. And, 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 and then on top of that, it's selecting for the thing that is the most outrageous. So then 
who is the perfect figurehead to speak to people who are used to getting their information that way? Well, it's someone who literally speaks in tweets. And, and that's Donald yeah. Trump. Like he, he, there is no substance. There is no nuance. There's no complexity. It's just a guy who takes the first thing he thinks of, condenses it into like the smallest phrase possible and the most outrageous phrase possible and emits it to the world. Like that, yeah. that he's like, he's perfect for that. Um, everything else is boring at this point. You know what I mean? Um, especially when you right. add, you know, people are desperate and not at work right now. I think people not being at work is a big part of this too. <laughs> uh it's just it's just like the perfect storm for some for for wild stuff but um so yeah let's let's that's interesting so let's get into i guess what's going on in the news currently with this capital situation so uh yesterday uh was it yesterday morning that it happened i don't quite know like noon Okay. It's like noon or one. Yeah. At some point yesterday, um, a large group of Trump supporters uh, stormed. Patriots. Yeah, Patriots, um, freedom fighters. They stormed uh, the the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. And, and do you know, was there any explicit goal or was it just to cause chaos? Do you know? I actually don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think it was too recent to get all the stuff like when it was happening. Um, you know, I turned on the news and live news feeds when these things are happening are just worthless Mm because all you're doing is just like looking at the outside of the Capitol building. And then the commentators are just like, well, we're here and people are trying to get in. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, okay, thanks for the info. Um, so this, this morning I spent like an hour trying to like read different articles because there was actually more info coming up, but. But no, I don't know what the explicit goal was other than like to just stop the vote and right. to cause havoc. To right? stop the certif was it to stop the certification of the presidential election votes, right? Or was it yeah. congressional votes? Is it presidential election votes? Yeah. Okay. So I guess my question to you is, um, as the philosophy guy and all of that, is like at what point, where is the line, in your opinion, between protest and terrorism? Well, so uh, that's a good question. I didn't know you were going to go that direction. Well, let's just bring it back to like the Black Lives Matter thing. Cause sure. It's been, I haven't gotten to respond to anything of that because the I tried. I got on Facebook for like 10 minutes last night. <laughs> mm-hmm. The stuff I was seeing was just obscene. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I really wanted to like respond to people. I just like couldn't. I just absolutely yeah. couldn't. So, I don't so know if you saw it, the only thing I posted. Yeah. But um, can, can yeah. Let, me, let me just let me just say something right there real quick, and I'll let you continue. Yeah. In terms of the Black Lives Matter protest comparison, most I haven't seen as much of that as I thought I would have seen online. Uh, the most I've seen a lot. Yeah. The most of uh the comparisons that I've seen have been in the different way that law enforcement has responded to each, to each event, like comparing the, the law enforcement response to black lives matter protests and then yeah. to the, the Capitol siege. So I haven't, I haven't seen more, I haven't seen that, any so broader please. comparisons. So, but you yeah. please, please continue with what you're saying. Um, so one of the things I keep seeing from people is people saying like, yeah, well the left has done the same thing. And then like trying to point the finger at black lives matter. Um, and one, I think that's just like kind of crazy. Well, it's a logical fallacy in the first place, but, Mm -hmm. um, well, explain that. Why is it a logical fallacy? 
because I mean, uh, listeners may well, not. It's, ba- it's basically like a, they call it like a two quote fallacy, but basically what it says is like, but you. Um, mm-hmm. So I, Hassan, you offended me, right? And I'm telling you that you like you hurt my feelings or something, right? And you're like, yeah, but you did it. You did it before. Like that doesn't change anything about our interaction right now of me telling you that you did something wrong. And what what your job is in that scenario is probably to like understand me or say you know say you're sorry or something. Right. Not go. Yeah, but you did that. It doesn't make it. It doesn't mean anything. Right. And if anyone listening uh, doesn't think that American society has is in agreement with you, I mean, it's why we have laws against vigilantism. It's why, like, just because someone kills your brother doesn't mean you can go kill that person legal in a legal sense. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we as a society uh, have decided that it's not okay to, uh, you know, do things just because someone else has does some- has done something, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's just one example. But, yeah, keep going. So it's a logical okay. fallacy to compare the two. Yeah, so there's just that. But um, – and the, the other side of that, which would also be, you know, uh, related to fallacious thinking, is to think that you can't condemn both. Um, uh-huh. which is uh, also just mm-hmm. ridiculous. Like uh, people are making all these weird assumptions. Like I see somebody post about, um, you know, against this event that happened yesterday and then people respond like, yeah, well, you know, what about the left or black lives matter? It's like, well, can I also say that that was bad too? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when those turned into riots, um, you could say both of those are bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but perhaps the biggest thing that doesn't make any sense in comparing the two is that they basic this crowd, um, Black Lives Matter. Well, I, I think there are multiple things going on. One, Black Lives Matter isn't about a conspiracy uh, that we don't have any data on. Right? <laughs> right. Like, so black people get killed by the cops and then people are mad about it. Right. Like we know right. that black people are getting killed and then people are mad about it. And then if we want to talk about how mad you're allowed to be or something, that's a different conversation. Right. But we're talking about just a full blown conspiracy that nobody like nobody is nobody is debating whether George Floyd died. Right. Right. Nobody is debating whether he died. And no one but is debating mean, whether or not the amount of force that was used on him was excessive or not. Right. Most people, most sane people look at that video and say, this is unacceptable. Now, whether there's a larger, now people are debating whether or not there is a larger systemic problem with, with violence against black people by the police. You, I mean, there's a, there's a good faith argument. I think that could be had about that, but in terms of the specific incident that, that kicked off the protests, there's no, there's really no contention between anybody who's in touch with reality. When they watch that clip, this is an unnecessary use of force and it's, and it's ugly. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then on top of that, these people had basically the support of the president. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only the support, uh, not only the support, but I think there's, I mean, there's an obvious argument to be made that this event would not have happened without President Trump's inciting of it. Right. Um, and then their goal, like, like Black Lives Matter's goal, um, which I think is generally fuzzy, but on in protest yeah. is to affect some kind of change in terms of the way that law enforcement operates or just general society or something. But the goal of these people was to dismantle like American democracy, like the way the government works, right. um, electing the most powerful person on the planet or like the most powerful country in the world. Um, like the degrees of separation in terms of like what right. this was trying to accomplish and do and who was behind it are massive, absolutely massive. Right. And um, yeah, I think that's a good point because I think there is a difference between a protest 
that is seeking to do something that we would consider as Americans to be good, or at least for the greater good, um, in terms of um, finding some kind of resolution to police violence. Even if every single Black Lives Matter protest becomes a riot, there is still a difference in intent there uh, compared to what this thing at the Capitol was. This thing at the Capitol, even though there was no explicit, like, here's our plan, here's what we're going to do, it's very obvious that the intent behind the, the attack on the Capitol was to undermine the democratic process, the processes that have happened in order to elect the president. That is, that is like... Levels of degrees. Yeah, it's like they're, they're miles apart from each other. Yeah, yeah. Like... What they're, I mean, honestly, like they can call it a protest if they want, but it's it's not a protest. It's, yeah. I, and so I think to come back to the question, where does like a, uh, what's the difference between a protest and, and terrorism? I think the difference is, uh, maybe terrorism is too broad of a term, but I think it applies here. The difference is where it stops being, if they had stood outside the Capitol and were shouting, you know, make sure the votes are real or whatever, blah, 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 blah. That's a protest. But when it becomes about, do whatever it takes to undermine the processes that are happening, the democratic processes that are happening. That is terrorism because they're doing it through means of terror. Yeah, there's a goal. There's a goal. Yeah, yeah there's so, obviously yeah, a maybe, goal. Maybe there's a line. Maybe the way to draw the line is like the riots that happened or have happened in Black Lives Matter protests are just general anger. Right. Right. Um, they're not directed. I mean, I guess there have been instances of like the police station was burned in Portland. Yeah, and, and, and to be like fair, that. and to be fair, uh, there have been intentional um, malicious things done by people who have showed up to Black Lives Matter protests for sure. Like people who yeah, have yeah. taken the opportunity to loot and to incite riots and to attack the police. There, I mean, that is that is for sure happened. I mean, that was yeah. not the outset, the goal of those protests at the outset, but there have definitely been quite you know a significant number of people who have taken advantage of those opportunities so let's call let's call a spade a spade for sure but there's a difference between a gathering of a protest becoming a riot for one reason or another and yeah. people setting out to undermine democracy like literally yeah, undermine right. it like literally going after the electoral college votes to try to abscond with them <laughs> like that's crazy <laughs> yeah yeah maybe, i think it's ludicrous maybe the equivalent would be vigilante justice against the against whoever was on george floyd floyd's neck yeah right like i'm trying to figure out like what what would be the target that right. would have to be similar because that's the difference right i it's think like the, dif the difference target. the difference to me would be if so uh if a mob of thousands of people showed up to the courthouse where um, the the officer who uh, was on the Floyd uh, was on George Floyd was on trial and they stormed the they building and just tried yeah. to destroy the building so the trial couldn't happen and they could administer their own justice. I think that's probably the best analogy for the like the specific. Right. OK. And, and uh, Sorry, there's a reason why that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, like and and trust me, I think the reason. So. I've been I've been arguing with some of my friends, some of my more conservative leaning friends about this, who so I have some friends who who because they are more conservative minded, especially when it comes to economics and finances and stuff like that, they have been able to to suss out or like to parcel to parse out Donald who Donald Trump is as a person versus some of the things that he's done in office that they like or have benefited from. And 
Um, and I, for example, an example they bring up often is the the Trump tax cuts, right? Where you know there's the there's the the talk the Republican talking point where they say you know average Americans you know effectively got two thousand dollars into their pocket uh, by way of the Trump tax cuts. Yeah, my taxes went up. <laughs> right. That's, I th- that's why I thought we, when we go in that direction, it's like I'm trying to think of, you know, what are they going to name? And the only right. thing that comes to mind is like the Trump tax cuts in terms of like explicit policy. Right. And I kind of got screwed on that because he got rid of a lot of deductions that I used to mm-hmm. use. Like I work in, I live in Rancho. Mm-hmm. I usually, uh, for several years, I would I would drive to Glendora. Um, right. My dad and I would work. Um, and then I would drive to Barstow. Um, and then I would drive back home. And so I would have, so you are uh, a professional driver. That's what you, yeah, I was, I was driving like 190 <laughs> miles. Yeah. Um, and there used to be a, a, a deduction related to miles driven between W2 jobs. So if you have more than one mm-hmm. job, you can drive between them and write off the miles. And I would drive like 20,000 miles a year between jobs, you know, something right. crazy. I, I lost that. Um, but other deductions, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, I think I think that's a good point. I mean, that's a that's a that's a helpful, useful anecdote. But yeah, like, so they'll say they'll bring up like, okay, well, the Trump tax cuts. I mean, that was cool, or like something, some um, seemingly you know um, uh, productive foreign policy decision or something. Um, and 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 i'm willing to concede that those things may be good i'm i'm conce- i'm even willing to concede that those things um would not may would not have happened if someone else was in office i'm willing to concede that that's fine my problem is though at what cost and that's always what i say and i all and for basically essentially the last couple years but especially this last year of trump's presidency my main argument has been look you can say what you want about Trump's foreign policy or his tax cuts being beneficial to you or whatever, but he is literally at every stage of his presidency from the campaign on, he has worked tirelessly and intentionally to undermine every institution that we have in this country that is worth yeah. anything. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and he's totally eroded, not just him, but he has doubled down and worked his hardest to erode every social norm that we have in regards to politics. And they're like, and, and typically their retort is, well, who cares about social norms as long as, you know, you know, he's not bankrupting the country. But I'm like, but that's the point of democracy. Right. And that and that and I think this whole situation with the capital, like I, I, I'll be completely honest and vulnerable with you for a second. There was a part, there was a tiny sliver in deep down in my heart that was a little bit like affirmed that like I was correct in this because I think this whole situation with the Capitol, not only is it directly related to Trump for like the, 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 the DC sort of rally he was having that kind of incited the incident, but this whole like siege terrorist takeover, the, the Capitol building thing, happened because he spent four years vilifying the press so that that nothing that you hear from the press uh, anyone that follows trump takes seriously at all they only believe what comes from his mouth or sources that he says are good sources uh the conspiracy theories about the election uh he he's made he's called everyone who disagrees with him uh evil or lazy or some vilified everyone who's against him to where he's literally eroded the process that social media has begun to erode our discourse 
he ha- he put the pedal to the metal and was like, no, l- yeah. let's get it all the way out of here. And you're o- only listen to me and, and what I think is right. And everybody else is out to get you. And that kind of thinking has made it so that the, all the thousands of people that showed up to the Capitol think that what they're doing is the noble American, the right thing to do. And it's and it's insane because these are the people for, you know, at the beginning of Trump's presidency and before that, these are the people who would tell you, oh, Republicans are the party of law and order and and the Constitution is sent from Jesus. And the most important thing that we have is in America is our, you know, is our American democracy and our freedom and our liberty and our and all of that. These yeah. people are literally taking the furniture and destroying the seat of our democracy. Yeah, well, you know, black people wouldn't get shot if they didn't break the laws, right? Like, these <laughs> exactly. are the same, and that's what they're doing. Right? Exactly. Like, they're breaking the laws, and um, only one of them got shot, apparently. Yeah, and, and the crazy yeah. thing is to watch all the Republican pundits who have endorsed this kind of thinking and these thought processes and who have peddled in conspiracy thinking and, and, and watch them try to condemn these people. Like, the, that is the most nuts thing. You got people like Tommy Lahren and 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 mike pence and all these people who are like oh don't become like the left don't don't be we're the party of law and order remember and blah 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 it's like no you're not this is what happens never were yeah Yeah. you never were this is the this is what happens when you tell your your base that everyone else is out to get them even the politicians even the media even our most trusted institutions everyone is out to get you if things don't go your way this is what happens yeah, it's just the most snowflake thing of all time. It is. That's it my is. favorite thing is is weaponizing snowflake against right wingers. <laughs> um, I mean, that's what it was. It's just a bunch of snowflakes on display yesterday at the Capitol. Just yeah, you know, like crying a river because they lost. Ben like, Shapiro sells mugs that say "liberal tears" on the front of them. I've seen that. Yeah, like this is crazy. Like the tables have turned. <laughs> Like yeah. a thousand percent, you know, it's crazy. Well, yeah, I would just say they haven't even turned. They were just always snowflakes. But yeah, it's just funny that that's like an easier target for them, apparently, is to say that against the left. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's I think you're completely right. And I think what I was thinking about when you were talking is the fact that it's kind of interesting because in terms of like a tech savvy, like a lot of politicians don't know anything about technology. I mean, we watched it with <laughs> we talked about it when when what was it you know mark zuckerberg and whoever else had to like go before congress and the kinds of questions they were answering asking were just right. absurd right um like how come when i one of the questions was something like this it was like how come when i search loser donald trump comes up first like to google it's like uh <laughs> that's because people keep posting donald trump is a loser online that's why it goes to the top of search results right like, it's not like the CEO of Google is sitting there like, hey, what am I going to put at the top of the Google search today? They don't have time for this crap. Like the, yeah. amount of inter- the amount of data that's on the internet. Anyway, I only say this as a segue into like you talking about Trump, how he was kind of made for this. That's the irony is I think that he is probably among the most illiterate in of terms course. of technology, or right. social media or whatever. But for whatever reason, he's been tweeting out of his mouth for the first 70 three years of his life (laughs) and then like a platform came out that he could just be Mm -hmm. which is crazy like but he is twitter he just is twitter and he always was right like you watch the the crazy thing is you watch interviews of him from 20 30 years ago and he speaks exactly the same way and just 
uh, you know, is way over the top and, and so uh, convinced of whatever he's saying and, and manipulating every conversation. Um, it's, it was just a, it was a match made in heaven, unlike him and Melania, um, which apparently, you know, there's not a lot of romance going on there, but <laughs> I think if Trump could marry Twitter or become Twitter, he would be like, um, there's it's, so- like, it's absolutely G ge- I would say it would be genius for anybody else, but it's not mm-hmm. genius. There was no plan. He just is it right. He, he couldn't. Yeah. He had no, yeah. Like there was no, there was no choice. Like he, he just happened to be at the right place at the right time for what, you know, that, yeah. that crowd was looking for, you know, he, there was no master plan. He just, stumbled into that like he stumbles into everything else like it's just it's crazy man like there's a yeah i don't i was gonna go back into another example that i but i've already we've already made that that point clear so let me ask you this what do you think is okay so donald trump uh because of the what he was saying the footage from the rally and all the tweets that he was saying um in dc that kind of incited this event he's been blocked from twitter uh, he's been banned until all the last I heard he's been banned from Twitter until all of the tweets related to the Capitol building have been taken down. And, uh, but I think he's banned from Facebook for, I think it's officially until the, until the inauguration. And I don't know if Twitter is the same way, but he's still banned from Twitter. So yeah. I want to argue, I want to not argue, I want to ask you this. Um, So what role do you think, because I've I've seen a lot of people criticizing Twitter as well by saying, like, why now? You know what I mean? Like, he's been inciting this kind of violence all four years. Why, you know, why now? It's too little, too late is a lot of what I've been seeing online. So going forward, you know, once assuming everything calms back down, Joe Biden is inaugurated and things go somewhat back to normal, hopefully. What do you think is the way forward for these social media platforms to avoid this kind of thing in the future? I don't like, know. Do you think they should take lot, more I... creative license or it to censor or what, whatever? I, I was thinking about this a lot the other day when I was pulling weeds. That's when I get a lot of thinking done. <laughs> um, I pulled a lot of weeds as a kid and, and uh, I, I spend time doing it now and I nice. spend time thinking. Um, anyway, uh, there's a part of me that says, and this is not really a solution because the opposite could kind of happen, and it'll make sense after I say it, um, but there's a part of me that's pretty conservative in terms of the way that businesses operate, or at the very least, I've said it before, at the very least, um, I like to call BS on right-wingers that don't allow um, businesses to do whatever they want um, when mm-hmm. it's against their own interests, Right. Um, mm-hmm. like we're allowed to not sell cakes to gay people, but you're not allowed to delete my tweets, you know, like that kind of crap. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, uh, like the, the irony of the situation is that if, if Facebook and Twitter had their way, right. They'd be deleting all of this crap. Yeah. Um, I think the so only too. reason they don't, the only reason they don't is because they're trying to like appease conservatives, right? Like the, the, the stereotype, which I think is totally true. That they're like nobody that works at Facebook or Twitter voted for Trump, right? Um, right. It's an oversimplification, but the point is that the culture at these places don't like that stuff. Um, and so, if if they had their like, he's lucky. He's I would say he's lucky. Um, but I could I I guess I could see it going the opposite way. Um, in terms of like you could be silencing like liberal 
views, but the difference is, and we talked about this before, is that as a business, in order to make money, you have to be liberal in some sense. Why? Mm-hmm. Because if if I decide that you know I don't want to serve black people, I'm going to make less money, right. right? And then on top of that, there are, there might be other white people that like black people that don't want to eat at my place too because right. I was mean to black people, right? So so it's like just bad business. So so I think it's harder to um, I think it would be harder for that to actually be successful. Like we there are all these conservative social networks, right? Um, mm-hmm. Well, they're not even conservative. They just have uh, social networks that don't. Um, filter anything and then the interesting thing is that what they've become is like these places for um you know just alt-right and q kind of crap right um parlor and whatnot yeah which is bad for business and there's a reason that we're not you know you and i don't participate in those social networks is because we don't want to participate in those social networks (laughs) i i think i think you touched on something really interesting i do think um i i think i prefer the term progressive than liberal because i think there are as society continues to modernize and progress there is always going to the like the base level of social progressiveness is always going to rise like it's going as we learn more about the universe and as we learn more about each other and become more tolerant and become more knowledgeable about other people and connect with other people and talk to people like the level of progressive value socially are always like the floor is going to rise you know what i mean i think mm-hmm. Uh, I was listening to Ben Shapiro uh, the other day because I, I do listen to people who I disagree with a lot because I think it's healthy to do that. Um, I mostly do. Uh, I listened to Ben Shapiro the other day, and he was talking about how um, the thing he's most concerned about about Joe Biden's presidency is that the 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 culture wars thing, the 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 culture wars phenomenon in politics. He feels like Joe Biden is going to ramp that up. And I don't necessarily agree with that because I think Joe Biden is a lot more a mo- uh, lot more moderate in terms of his. Because um, face it, Joe Biden's an old man who doesn't have a lot of energy to, to dedicate to um, worrying about the you know issues like you know transgender bathrooms and you know uh, yeah. things like that. You know what I mean? He's got to be the most mild, boring Democrat that yeah. could have ever been nominated. Like there are but, plenty yeah. of other politicians in Washington and otherwise that have all the energy to focus on issues that do matter, but that Joe Biden, a guy like Joe Biden, is not going to give his energy to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um. So, uh, but but I do understand the point that Ben Shapiro is making because I do think the more the more that uh, politicians in the federal government try to, and here's where my one strand of conservatism comes out. The, mm-hmm. And I wouldn't even call it conservatism, honestly, but um, I think the like the thing that the federal government and politicians should not be trying to dictate to the American people is what what our cultural values should be. I think that that is that is a recipe for disaster because it, it polarizes the government. And the American people in a way that's not healthy for the type of democracy we have here, um, because it becomes, you know, we are the authority. You listen to us and you act accordingly, whereas like there should be a symbiotic relationship between the government and the people like they should be one and the same. The government should be of the people and for the people. It should be made up of people that are just like you and I. The moment they step up onto a pedestal and try to tell us what we should and ought to be doing in terms of our um, cultural values, I think we have an issue. Um, that being said, um, I do think that the longer 
the the more that politicians try to run and 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 uh, build their careers on like social issues and and you know sort of ethic the culturally ethical issues and stuff like that i think politics will continue to erode um because as long as you do that then there's going to be a need uh, a false need but there's going to be a need for teams and i would lo- so i was telling my conservative friends i would love to see the day where because i would argue most people most americans and i think our our latest elections the fact that Democrats hold essentially, you know, the entire um, executive branch of the government at this point, um, mm-hmm. they own the Senate, the House, not own, but they are the majority in the Senate and the House. And uh, there's a Democrat in the president, uh, president's uh, office. I think there is a where we're at with society now, there is a base level of progressivism that most people can agree with. Most people think you should be able to love who you love, you know, even if they don't think that God is pleased with it. Most people believe you should have the freedom to do that. Like most people believe that we should take care of the poor. Most people, most people believe there should be some kind of social, social, um, you know, some kind of social security for finances, some kind of, you know, higher education shouldn't, you know, uh, put someone into a lifetime worth of debt, like things like, like these basic sort of like, you know, all all men and women are created equal. Like these these sort of basic principles of progressivism and things like that, like caring for the sick, caring for the poor, mitigating bad luck of people who are you know disabled or or whatever, or old or all those things, right? Um, I would love to see a day where our politics doesn't have to be divided upon uh, along party lines, not because there's some arbitrary all right, let's get rid of the parties now, but because our politics and the conversations around politics have evolved to not need to talk about social issues because we are all in agreement on those social issues in terms of like how we should treat people. And I think that is like, cause I would love to see a day where like the, the core arguments of politics are only about policy and ideas. You know what I mean? There's like an ideas about structural political, like policy changes to the way the country is run. Not necessarily, you know, well, how should we do? Right. Because Trump has basically done nothing as a president. Right. Um, but, <laughs> But he's controlled this conversation, right? right? And people have looked to him for this conversation that, like, we hate liberals, so we love Trump, or we we don't want trans people in bathrooms, so we love Trump, or something like. Yeah, and I think this might be totally the unrelated stuff. Yeah, this might be. I think Donald Trump's presidency might have been the nail in the coffin for, for at least for a while until they change for the Republican Party in in terms of federal government executive leadership, because I think. They have the, the Republican Party is going to have to do a complete 180 away from this culture war stuff. And the Democrat Party will also have to. But I think more of the onus is on the Republican Party, because I think the more traditional Republican talking points when it comes to like the culture war stuff, I think they're running out of issues that people feel that strongly enough to where they're willing to put up. Yeah, like everybody wants weed to be legal at this point. Yeah, like the only issues the Republican Party really has left is abortion, which Donald Trump doesn't talk about. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, they have abortion. They couldn't. That's one thing that they couldn't really get him. Like there were instances of him coming out and saying that he was like against it, but it was like the softest, like 
presentation of or answering that question like ever and he did it like three times on like random talk shows yeah i I think i think donald trump is very selectively stubborn about a lot of things and and i don't think he was most the most excited like he likes to talk about stuff that he likes to talk about and i just think he doesn't like talking about that you know what i mean i because i don't think he feels strongly one way or another um but in terms of like, yeah, the Republican talking points, they're kind of running out of social issues. I mean, they have abortion. They can still talk about that and maybe immigration. But I don't think for very long. Um, I mean, what else do they have? You know, like <laughs> like I would love to see a, a version of American politics where the ground floor, like the me- the minimal requirement is to be progressively minded when it comes to social issues. And then we can argue about politics and, and spending and 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 things like that after that you know what i mean and i think that's where we're headed if if the if the higher ups in both parties realize that and kind of come to a ceasefire when it comes to um social issues because i think donald trump it was very clear to me at least that donald trump was grasping for straws at for issues to to run you know his presidency on which is why i'm i'm like i don't understand how the conspiracy theory stuff yeah, I don't think how he gets reelected. If he says he says he's going to run again in 2024, I don't see how. First of all, he'll be super old, and I don't see how he gets elected. What is he going to run on? Unless Joe Biden has a, a does some make some catastrophic mistake and the presidency is totally he's, he's literally going to do nothing. Right, like, but <laughs> I think that's the biggest irony is that like, okay, if if Bernie was the nominee or if Kamala was the nominee or somebody that like from the right i can understand getting pissed off about this would be a lot more interesting but we have like donald trump versus the most boring politician in american history mm-hmm. who like doesn't really say or do anything interesting like what the hell are you all so mad about or what like nothing's really going to happen the only thing that that you know affect the bigger thing that affects things is that uh you know donald trump botched the georgia runoffs like that's a way bigger um issue than than the presidency being controlled by, you know, or occupied by. Yeah. And, by and honestly, like, I think the Republican Party and Republican candidates would really benefit from not having to adopt the social issues that have become part of that base. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I have friends. Maybe they could go back to the party of fiscal responsibility. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, something like that would be, I think they would really benefit from that. Like, I have friends that are like, man, I just can't wait till like someone like Dan Crenshaw is president, right? And I always kind of roll my eyes at. You, are you familiar with Dan Crenshaw? No. He's a senator, I believe, and uh, he's a senator from Texas, I believe. And he's like, uh, you've probably seen him, but don't really like know who he is. But he's the mm-hmm. he's though he's a military veteran. He's like a younger guy. He's like in his thirties or something. Um, he, he's like he has an eye patch. Like he looks like. He's handsome, like he and he's a Republican. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know who he is. He's like a Republican guy, but he's he's like um fiscally he's a, a libertarian um he he's like one of these like neo libertarian kind of conservative guys who mm-hmm. um you know thinks trickle down trickle down economics is the way to go and you know any but he's also like socially hasn't at least publicly um from what i understand he hasn't endorsed a lot of the like the like the typical trappings of of republicanism in terms of like their social issues but and and i always kind of roll my eyes because one i don't think fiscal libertarianism is uh i don't think that's the best way forward for america honestly 
um, especially with the way the economy is changing right now. We can circle back to this conversation because I know, I mean, this is right up your alley with Bitcoin and stuff. But, um, but also, like, I just, I can't see a Republican like that winning or running successfully as a Republican because right now the Republican Party is built entirely on the, you know, abortion, immigration, and being anti-socialism. That was like the new thing they adopted under Trump because, you know, people like AOC and Bernie Sanders gained notoriety. So that became the new Republican, like sort of flagship talking point is like, well, they want socialism and that's bad. Um, so that's like their new point. But I think most Americans don't want America to become, you know, um, all you know, all the bad examples of socialism gone wrong. America doesn't want that. So, like, that's not going to be a strong running point for Republicans for a long time. I don't think, especially after a, a Joe Biden presidency. So, like, I don't think someone like Dan Crenshaw could ever be a Republican president because he's not. I don't think he's willing to, you know, say that he's, you know, pro life and to ban abortions or turn over Roe v. Wade or any of that. Like, I don't think he's willing to do that. And I yeah. think that's going to hinder a lot of potentially really good Republican, you know, people who are, you know, fiscally conservative minded, like it's going to prevent a lot of those people from being successful because they're not willing to, to, especially if they're younger, like they're not willing to endorse, you know, bad ideas. Um, but all that to say, I, I think there was an interesting conversation there to be had about uh, fiscal sort of libertarianism. Mm-hmm. Because, and, you know, you can just respond to this, but I think that's a bad I think it's a bad move for America, especially going forward, because our economy is in the middle of like a transition. And I think <laughs> I think the uh, the pand- the covid pandemic kind of accelerated this in a lot of ways. But we are we are um, we are quick. Yeah, I mean, we are quickly we- moving away in a lot of places from like um, entrepreneurialism in terms of like starting you know no no one's gonna need to start the new the next like general motors or like you know whatever like it's just not we're not we're not we're 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 evolving past a productivity based economy Mm -hmm. um and we're not there yet um because people still have to work and there's still things that need to be improved upon in all kinds of sectors like energy and all kinds of things but i think within possibly within our lifetime but definitely i think within the next lifetime like we will be beyond a productivity like an economy that's based on how much time are you willing to contribute to making a thing that contributes to society i think we're going to move beyond that pretty quickly relatively speaking um not quickly in terms of next week but uh within the you know the next few decades i think we will be beyond that or at least the majority of the country will be and in a system like that um fiscal libertarianism doesn't really work because there you know there won't be frankly enough jobs for that to really be an option you know what i mean yeah i'm not so i'm not so pessimistic about running out of jobs a lot of people are i think we've talked about this before mm-hmm. in terms of like the advancements of technology and, yeah and automation and whatnot jobs yeah um, i just think that uh people's expertise has changed um mm-hmm. and uh to serve the economy and one thing that i always think about as an example um, is that ironically is we fi- we finally created machines that could create things that were perfect mm-hmm. right and now nobody wants anything perfect everybody wants things that are like handmade um, an example of this is like calligraphy is cool like what the hell like why did we why did we invent like photoshop 
and printers and they have the internet like i can just go on have you been on canva no is it like a like fiverr or something like that no it's like it's like uh graphic design made easy it's like the microsoft version of oh okay like, you got just you. download like you could you could do your wedding invitations on there and, and gotcha. any random joe who's a computer can do it and we invented all these like great beautiful things where like the computer is gonna take people's jobs and then calligraphy got cool Mm-hmm. And like we had our, mm-hmm. my wife paid somebody to write our wedding invitations, and I'm like, what the heck? Like, so I only say that because we appreciate humans appreciate things based on like whether they're like difficult or not, right? Like everybody yeah. can go to Target and buy glass cups for like a dollar and a half each that all look the same or perfect, right? And a hundred years ago, you might go into a store and try to buy a set of glass cups, and they would you know not be matching, and that might be like an uh, indication that you were poor, couldn't afford nice cups. And now it's like the opposite. If you come over to my house, we got mason jars because we're so hip. Um, that's not actually true. Um, but I, but <laughs> I, I don't. I, the the thing is that I think people's tastes will continue to change, and um, I'm I'm less pessimistic about jobs disappearing. Um, um, can can I make general, a clarification? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, it's not that I'm pe- so I don't I, I am I'm skeptical that that you know, um, meticulous sort of repetitious sort of labor-based jobs will exist for a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not pessimistic about the outcome though. I am optimistic about the outcome because I think that's the society we're trying to build to. I think when, when the founders of America closed their eyes and dreamed of, you know, thousands of years in the future, I think that's the world they dreamt of. Like, I think that's the, the world's every society dreams of, of getting past needing to work to survive and 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 getting past yeah, the like need done. for the society to create wealth and to get to a point where we are just the society is running so effectively that we are just collectively enjoying at different levels I'm not I'm not arguing for um um communism but I'm saying we society will evolve to a point where for the most of our time is spent just enjoying the wealth of the society. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think in terms of like repetitive jobs, just as like a side note, the thing that always pops into my mind is um, you've seen Charlie in the chocolate factory. The yeah. One. Um, his dad's job is to put caps on toothpaste. Yeah. It's like the funniest assembly line job. Like he just like sits there and like, I'll, I'll do you one better. I remember um, there was an episode of Rugrats where, uh, uh-huh. Uh, the kids are like, this is before the Rugrats all grown up, but there was an episode where the kids were like dreaming about what it's going to be like to be an adult after hearing the stories, the nightmarish stories from their parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they imagine their jobs, like Tommy is like a, he's like a, an actual paper pusher. Like, so his okay. job is to take a push broom and, and like push, paper and push loose sheets of paper around a big warehouse. Nice. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> And there's like someone, uh, I think Chucky's job was to be a penny pincher. So like pennies would come through a machine and they'd be just like this ball of copper, like wet copper. And he would pinch them flat. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. I don't remember that episode. Yeah. It's I, uh, for some reason that sticks, that sticks out in my mind and the episode where, um, uh, what's the Angelica? She like is sick or something and she's like abusing Tommy's dad. Like he, she's like has like a bell and she's ringing it and she's like, I want chocolate pudding. And he has to go downstairs and make her pudding. I remember that one too, but it was her dream. Yeah. (laughs) Um, My wife would like one of those. So I could come bring her stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. um, 
yeah, on the uh, yeah, I would agree with you. Like generally, we're moving away from menial jobs, which is good. Right. I think talent talent based jobs will be around forever because I think that's yeah. that's part of that's cultural. Like we like like we like to see people realize their talent and realize their potential and so we're i think it's a kind of ingrained in us in us to reward that so i think yeah, we will yeah. always have like talent based jobs calligraphy and filmmaking and 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 music and and carpentry and and all the things that are like artisan kind of jobs i think will be around for a long time um but yeah. like things like I w- for example i was looking at an instagram today i follow this um this company it's like a landscaping company and I follow them because they post videos of just like I like watching lawns being cut, like mowed, because it's just very yeah. like it's soothing, like to just watch the mower. As a kid, huh? You said what? I guess you didn't do it much as a kid. No. Huh? So we had landscapers <laughs> when I was a kid. That was like the one luxury item. My mom was like, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not uh, cutting the grass." And then she was like, "Yeah." So and she had landscapers before I was born, so she was just used to it. So she just did it. I mowed a lot of lawns. Really. So yeah, so yeah, I, I always I that's my dream is to have a house with a lawn so I can mow it because it just looks so it looks so satisfying. But that's yeah, so but I'm funny. watching and they have a really successful business where there's like a team. They go out, they have two teams and they go out in teams of like ten people and they're working on the lawn, you know, a bunch of lawns at one time and they're and I'm thinking to myself like, how long is this company going to exist? How long is it before it's one guy who pulls up to a block and programs his mowers to cut the lawn they all do it in an hour they get you know then he goes and puts them back in the truck and leaves like i don't think we're too far away from that you know what i mean yeah. and, and not just with that but not with just with that sector but with all those jobs that like are kind roomba, of like that but for a lawn yeah like i'm sure that startup idea exactly like a roomba for like a lawn buh <laughs> yeah like i'm sure that's going to happen and it's going to be and and I'm sure the idea of people coming and cutting your grass is nice, but I think there's like a level, there's a, there's a, um, there's a tipping point where convenience outweighs sort of our, um, our incentive to see, see other humans do the work. And I, and I think for most sectors of, of, you know, the economy, it's going to go there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So th- all that to say, that is my, that is my concern with guys who like, not guys, but people who are fiscally you know, sort of libertarian, just kind of let, you know, let the chips fall where they may. I just don't think that kind of thinking is going to work very long. Like we're going to quickly outgrow that, you know, because how do you monetize? How well, do you, or what happens? Sorry, what ahead. happens is you just get these, uh, I think in general, I'm a lot more open to letting businesses do what they want. Right. Um, but this kind of goes back to what you're talking about before. And we were talking about in terms of like big tech mm-hmm. um, in general. Um, but uh the like so Elon Musk just passed um Bezos as the richest person in the world. Did you see that? I did see I that. that was today. Um which is just obscene um in terms of the amount of wealth that can be generated um in the way that our economy currently works and exponentially over right. and over and over again and with the ease that that is done. Um and so yeah I mean I'd be against I'd be against a libertarian mindset in that way because if the amount of power and wealth that these guys have they can really do whatever they want unless the government tells them no do you believe uh, in a wealth tax uh what is what does that define that thing? so an idea that so because 
wealth is no longer attached to in a one-to-one ratio or not even one-to-one, but is no longer coupled to the amount of work or the amount of good someone provides the world. And it's clearly with Elon Musk, like he does a lot for the world, but who's to say whether or not it's proportional to what he's making or what he's worth, you know? Yeah. I would um, say not even close. It's yeah, yeah. I would, I would argue it's not close. Jeff Bezos, even though he does a lot for the world, I don't even think that's even close, but he does a lot more, I right. He does a lot more than Elon Musk does for sure. Um, so but the idea of a wealth tax is something that has been put forward by a lot of like more progressive types as the idea of it's a, it, basically it would be a tax on the wealthiest of us. Um, like to sort of offset the, the, the sort of, uh, uh, you know, a big chunk of the wealth inequality that exists in the world currently. Is that like a, an annual thing or is that like, a, I don't know, maybe a benchmark and then you pay, like, is that a, a constant tax? Maybe it's a one-time yeah. tax. Maybe it's a, maybe it's like a, you know, once every 10 years, maybe it's a once a year. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I yeah. guess I'm asking you philosophically sort of like, do you agree? Do you agree that wealth should be taxed in that way? Because I, I, I'll just, I'll say what I think, and then you can respond. I yeah. think that there, you know, the idea of taxes, you know, there's a, the joke from Parks and Rec where Ron Swanson, famous libertarian, says, you know, first of all, income tax is illegal, um, <laughs> and and I personally don't agree with that. I think there is there is, we are all benefiting. It is relatively new. That's the interesting thing. That that's true. It's like eighty years old or something. Yeah, that's true. But I think there is a. I think what taxes seek to do more than anything, because people think of taxes as like, you know, oh, it's it's money that they take so they can put towards infrastructure or whatever to keep us safe. Yes and no. I think the the fundamental philosophy behind taxes, uh, is that there is a there is a cost endured by everyone to varying degrees in terms of what it costs to mitigate the the luck that you may not be experiencing or the bad luck that you may be experiencing i guess is a way to uh, mm-hmm. uh a way to put it and there's a cost associated with that some people are born into extreme bad luck and there is a cost to mitigate that if we if if at the core of america we believe that all people should have you know the uh, you know should have the right to life you know liberty and the pursuit of happiness and property whatever um, there's going to be an, a measure of bad luck that you have to overcome in order to assure that right to people. And for some people, it, the cost is way higher than other people. So someone like, so someone like, let's just take, uh, let's say, let's just say that Jeff Bezos, father was a billionaire. I don't know if that's true, but let's just say it was. And, and Jeff Bezos was born into that family in inheriting billions of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. His, his cost to, to, uh, mitigate his bad luck would be as close to zero as possible um essentially now if jeff bezos had some kind of like you know he was born with some kind of disfigurement or some kind of illness or something like that okay there's some costs there but if he's a you know your typical healthy person his cost is as close to zero as possible someone who's born into uh, you know uh, a third world country let's just keep it in america someone who's born in extreme poverty and they're they're black so there's some uh, some some issue there. Like their cost of overcoming that is of their overcoming their bad luck is going to be significantly higher than Jeff Bezos. Maybe not the highest because they don't have a disability or something like that. But if they're a typical normal healthy person born into extreme poverty, their cost of overcoming that bad luck is way higher. 
Um, and it has gotten to the point where um, uh, it's it's almost like that that bad luck is almost like college loans, where so many people are completely underwater with their college loans because they they will. There's like some statistic I heard the other day where like I think it's like twenty percent. There's a there's a significant percentage of African American people. I was listening to a podcast where we're talking about African American economy economy and stuff like that. There is a significant percentage of African Americans who have student debt that will pay into their student debt for the rest of their lives and will still owe when they die ninety percent of the debt because the interest rate is so high that they're not even affecting the the main loan. They're only paying off yeah. the interest. Yeah. That that is what some people's experience of their bad luck is they no matter how hard they work they will work for a full-time job and 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 spend every dime that they have towards things that will better their situation and still never overcome the bad luck that they are yeah, that the they initial, were born into the initial and, hurdle. right yeah. and so the idea of a wealth tax is to take um is to take a, a percentage of the wealth from the highest people, the people who have the lowest burden of bad luck, and and mm-hmm. allocate that to try to over help facilitate overcoming the bad luck of people who are in much dire situations. Yeah. So it's like you know it, it, you can call yeah, it in, in principle. In principle, I'd I'd say I'm like generally for it. I'm just I'm very skeptical about like the practicality of a lot of these things. Like I think a lot of the stuff that like AOC will like propose. She just hasn't thought about it to the second level where like if you proposed it, like so so think about all of the businesses that have like left California. Right. If you propose these these things, people leave. And they're probably wrong for doing it, right? Yeah. Um like if if somebody was gonna tax, you know, Jeff Bezos, you know, to some greater degree the wealth tax, try to just redistribute it to, you know, I don't know, college funding so that people wouldn't be in debt. Um, that would be a good thing. Um, and I would hope that that would be something that he would care about. Um, I don't think he's very philanthropic, but I don't actually know. Um, but the problem is that these people would just leave, right? Like there's a reason that the Panama Papers existed, right? All Mm -hmm. of these offshore companies and shells and stuff like that. Um, so I think the, I think the trickle down argument, this isn't necessarily trickle down. Um, but the idea is that if you, if you allow businesses to like, to prosper and grow and to be successful, then other people will benefit, which there are plenty of critiques of that too, obviously. Um, but more for like a practical sense, um, people would just run, I think, um, mm. from having to pay these kinds of taxes. I think the, uh, I think our, our tax structure in general is, is absurd because it's so ridiculously complex. Um, right. and, but at the same time, doesn't take into a lot of other considerations. Um, like a weird thing that I've been reading about, it just didn't really dawn on me. Um, so if you make a bunch of money in one year, right, you pay taxes on it as if you always make that much money, right? So let's say, let's say I'm an, I'm your average American, um, you know, I make $50,000 a year, middle class, I'm a teacher or something. Um, and I... I don't know, I come come into like a windfall of, I don't know, for whatever reason, uh, my house that is mortgaged, um, somebody really wanted it and was going to pay me a million dollars for like way, way more than it's actually worth. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's a bad example because it's more like capital gains kind of stuff. But if you have like a single good year, um, right. you would pay an obscene amount of tax on it. Um, but it has really no indicator of what the rest of your life is going to look like. So like if somebody gave me $500,000 right, right now, that would be great to now put in my retirement fund and then I could retire and then I would keep doing my normal job the rest of my life, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm not a, saying I'm that responsible, but yeah. So I will, I will, I will tell you, I am a personal example of this. And I uh-huh. think that's why I, and I think you're right. The tax code and the tax structure needs to change, especially to accommodate, um, I think the gig economy is only going to grow bigger, and uh, and I think the t- current tax structure is a nightmare for someone who works uh, a, a gig kind of, kind of career. And I'll, I will yeah. speak personally to this. So I'm, I've always, for the most part, there was like a two-year stint where I worked like a real job. Like I worked at a bank for like two years, um, and then I, I work at a church as a musician, and that's W-2. Um, but because it's a religious religious organization, it's a little bit different. I'm still taxed on it, but it's 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 different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so and and it's not a bulk of my income, right? Bulk of my income has always been, at least for the past five years, has been um, all 1099 gig based. You know, either musician stuff, writing stuff, you know, um, uh, acting stuff, whatever, right? Yeah. So last year. 20, excuse me, 2019, not 2020, 2019, because 2020, (laughs) nothing happened. But in 2019, 2019 was my most lucrative year of my entire life. It was the, it's like the fifth or sixth year I had my own business as a DJ. And I also booked a, uh, a client that traveled a lot and toured. And that was Mm -hmm. extremely lucrative for me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I made more money than I've ever made. Right. Um, so some that that is the story for a lot of musicians. So a lot of musicians that especially in LA that I know, like they get to a certain point where you know you you're spending like a lot of your time playing, trying to get better and stuff like that, doing like little coffee shop gigs, playing in bands whatever to try to get onto a tour with like a big yeah. a major artist, right? Um so that happens in a lo- in a lot of the lives of musicians that I know. So for me specifically, I made in 2019 I made the most money I ever made. Because of that, I jumped up a tax bracket and was mm-hmm. taxed more than I've ever been taxed. Right. Like I went from my whole time my whole life as an adult, I've always gotten a tax return. Whether it's, you yeah. know, a couple hundred bucks, sometimes it's like 2 grand, you know what I mean, whatever it is. I've always gotten mm-hmm. money back, right? Mm-hmm. This last year uh, or in 2019, I was taxed, I owed money to the government and I and I mm-hmm. owed basically four times the amount of any tax return I've ever gotten. Right. Yeah. Like crazy. But then 2020 now, if that's what happened to me in 2017, that was like my first year where I was like making good money. And all of a sudden I got like a $10,000 tax bill or something. Right. Like what, which is crazy because (laughs) obviously with, with in 2020 with COVID, I was no longer touring. And even if COVID didn't happen, the way the gig economy works, like, a, you know traveling it with a touring artist it may not be there that artist may decide to go to be a chef or whatever and you may not have the same the same Become income banker, right you know, they could do anything so to so to so so to 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 tax me as if because my income was significantly higher for a year to tax me as if that is right. you know that somehow affects my wealth in any significant way beyond that year i think is crazy which is like, okay. I think we maybe should move to more of like a wealth-based tax system 
and move maybe away from an income-based tax system. Because I think that, it, especially with the gig economy, you could have a really good month, a really bad month. You could have a really good year, a really bad year. And to, to tax that person based on how much money came in versus how much money they are then able to save and become a part of their wealth, I think are yeah. very, two very different conversations. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably getting more on board with this as you're describing it, but um, yeah, like, so that, that example I gave before, which is just like crazy to think about, like, mm -hmm. let's say I made $1 million. Right. If you get paid $1 million in a year in California, you're going to be, pay you're going to be paying like 47% or something. Right. Yeah. So you're going to be left with $500,000 and you can't like, obviously we're young, Right. But it's not like you can retire. You couldn't retire with $500,000 now. No. And live 40 more years, you know. That's not like a <laughs> You'd a, be a, lucky a, to live another 2 years. <laughs> yeah. Off of so $500,000 like, <laughs> in yeah. California. So it doesn't even yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um So this is totally different segue, but we didn't get there cuz I, I actually wanted to hear this. This is a kind of back to the beginning. Sorry. I was just looking at what I read. No, down. you're okay. We never talked about the law enforcement response differences. Okay, before we get there, let me let me bring let me see how much time we have left. Um, we got a little a little bit of time. I don't want to keep you too much longer, okay. but um, let me before we get there, you have that written down. Yeah, keep it written down. I want was I while we're here talking about economy and stuff, I want to ask you this. So I read uh um, I read a headline about so Prop Twenty Two. I don't know if you and I ever talked about that on the podcast. Which one's Prop 22? Prop 22 was the one about um, Uber drivers and Lyft drivers and remaining um, okay. independent con or remaining independent contractors instead of becoming employees. So if you voted yes on Prop 22, you want uh, Uber drivers and Lyft drivers to remain independent contractors. If you vote no, you want them to be um, treated as employees. Uh, yeah. Basically, it, it clarifies the wording on another bill that came through SB. I forget what the number was, but essentially that that bill was saying that the clarification between an independent contractor and an employee is if the the, the, the employer, if they if if you as the employee are work to maintain their primary source of revenue. Um, so for an Uber driver, if you are a driver. Uh, in that particular example, then you must be in California considered an employee and offered the same benefits of a part-time or full-time employee. That means a healthcare option, um, paid sick leave, things like that, right? They were trying, the idea was to try to get protections for people who, if they were working for like a, um, a transportation company, as opposed to Uber and Lyft, would get the same protections that they would, that Uber doesn't want to provide, yeah. right? Because Uber says that's against our business model. We don't do that for a reason. Like it's a gig-based job, whatever. Um, yeah. So uh, that's neither here nor there. I mean, oh, that. I mean, no, it is here and there. <laughs> but <laughs> but so uh, Prop Twenty Two was basically a, a, a trying to repeal that um, essentially. Yeah. Um, so prop, it stayed prop, right. Prop Twenty Two. No, Prop Twenty Two passed. So now, so Uber and Lyft drivers are still independent contractors. Independent contractors. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what I what just happened recently, and I just saw this was Vons, and I think Vons and maybe there's one other grocery chain, uh, maybe it's Vons and Safeway, because they're the same chain but different names. Um, they are laying off their entire fleet because you know Vons has like that like delivery service where they deliver groceries and their big refrigerated trucks and stuff. They are yeah. laying off their entire fleet of uh, 
full-time um, delivery drivers and are going to adopt a third-party delivery system through like Instacart or something like that. Interesting. Um, so ethically speaking, uh, and this gets into the question of uh, incentives and, eth- and ethical business practices and things like that, because to me, uh, this is like, I don't think um, the bill that Prop 22 was trying to reverse was perfect um, because I am someone who would who was almost affected by it being a musician. Um, I don't think it was worded perfectly. I but I do like I did agree with the intent behind it because I do think these are the kind of protections that I think they were seeking. Um, because now, in an effort to you know increase their bottom line, Vaughn slash Safeway has you know taken an entire sector of full-time workers and has laid them off and not only is that just in uh, i think it's just a, a shitty thing to do but also those people because they are now laid off can now collect unemployment which negatively affects the economy of california so like it's 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 doubly i think bad because not only is it just like it, it kind of is like shows that von the safeway is like look if we can find someone else to do it just for cheaper we will no matter how long you've worked for us no matter what we don't care we care more about our bottom line and then also, it, you know, if you're, you know, this small government kind of, you know, conservative, fiscally conservative person, well, now they've just put an entire fleet of drivers onto unemployment to collect more unemployment at a time during a pandemic where unemployment is being, you know, is 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 being used by almost everybody at this point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just yeah. I just want your reaction to that and kind of what your thoughts are in terms of that decision by Vons. Um. Well, in, in general, I guess I'll say that the the debate about the the gig economy um, it seems like it, it could be easily solved by just like bifurcating it. Um, so you sign up to be an Uber driver and you sign up to be a contractor, or you sign up to be an Uber driver and you you sign up to be an employee. That's what my the argument reason, was, but yeah. The, the reason that Uber doesn't want that in the first place would be that, or why they wouldn't want one or the other is it destroys the business model, right? It's like what you said. My my brother is uh, quite successful for his age, and he drives Uber every once in a while, kind of for fun or for extra money, and um, and people do that, right? Uh, and that's that's part of what Uber needs. So you just kind of have two sides of that. Um, and yeah, I think on the Vons thing, this is kind of a different pedestal, but we'll come back to like the ethics of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the company that my dad and I started. I think we talked about it before, but like uh, eight years ago now, um, was processing tax credits. Uh, so the government pays employers to hire people from certain target groups. Um, so like if you're on unemployment um, or if you're you're on some type of welfare or if you're a veteran or you're disabled or all these different categories, right. um, the government will pay you to hire those people because the point is we want to get them off of public assistance. Right. Um, and so one thing that's really interesting is that, um, so Walmart, there's like a statistic that says like every time a Walmart opens in an area, and this is going away because there are Walmarts everywhere. Uh, (laughs) but when a Walmart comes into like a small town, um, and puts everybody else at a business, it actually costs the people in that area, you know, however many millions of dollars, because Walmart won't hire people for enough hours, um, to get them on. Um, you know, any kind of healthcare. And so they, and, and they get a bunch of tax credits to do it. That's the crazy thing. So they get a bunch of tax credits to hire 
people and then they don't they just do put it. out a business that are on unemployment but then they don't employ them enough hours to get them right. out of the income bracket where they're on welfare right so they continue being on welfare and they get paid by walmart and they don't work enough hours and they can't go anywhere right um so uh it's just absurd so but i only liken that because that's the same kind of cycle of, of what you just described with bonds mm-hmm. where um i think anybody agree i think the vast majority of people believe that unemployment should exist, right? Yeah. Um, if you get laid off, um, people disagree in terms of like the length or the amount, you know, they don't want like welfare right. sort of leeches, but, right. but I think most people think that if you get laid off that, um, that you should, you know, be helped in some sort of way. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think you framed the, the question already, but businesses, I don't think businesses should be allowed to make this like there's the there's the human side of the ethical question and then there's just right. like a business ethics right. thing. Business shouldn't be able to make decisions that directly cost taxpayers money. Uh, that's like my knee jerk reaction. That's a good right? point. Like they shouldn't be allowed to like make a decision that is now costing Americans however hundreds of millions of dollars because it probably is right. Like we're probably talking about. I don't know what ten thousand employees or something. At I don't know least, how big their system would be, right? At least, yeah. Um, for all those people going unemployment, they make that decision, and now we're all paying for it. Mm-hmm. Um, the government should almost step in and say, "Hey, we're going to pay you." This is like the tax credits answer. Let's say it's it's right. like, "Hey, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost the the American people fifty million dollars if you lay these people off. We're going to pay you ten million dollars to not do it." There's probably got to be a way to figure that out, right? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, if, if you're, if you're bouncing people into the gig economy, right, like the, the, the obvious answer for those people is to go join another gig. Right. Right. Like, you know, really funny. So, um, uh, my wife and I both have full-time jobs and, um, we're, you know, living pretty comfortably and stuff like that, but we don't spend any money on cars. Um, we, I drive a Fiesta, she has a Focus, um, they're but mine's seven years old. Hers about the same and 170,000 thousand miles, whatever. Very not cool cars. Anyway, somebody who dropped off a package at our house, who was very much one of these gig Amazon delivery kind of people, you know, like that just pick up packages. Yeah. And was driving a pretty new BMW. Um, yeah. And I was just thinking like, wow, this is so bizarre. And I was just trying to figure out like, how did that guy get in that situation? Either he has an, you know, a, uh, Either he can afford that car or something related to it, and he does this on the side for fun, right. extra money, or it pays for the car. Or the worst of those scenarios might be that he got laid off, and now he's in this position driving that car. And that's probably the most likely answer. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which would be a really bad place to be, which is why I don't have a nice car because right. I don't want to. I don't want to have to be yeah. doing that to pay for a car. Um, but. I don't know. I think I think Vaughn should should have figured out a way to um, to put those people in a position where they can still be like useful. I don't know. The the point is that the the reason why they're not using those people is because a different company can do it and do it for cheaper, mm-hmm. right? So yep. Vaughn should have. It seems like a question that Vaughn should have been able to answer themselves or figure out. Yeah, um, but apparently not. I don't know. 
that's weird. Yeah, I, I, it's a question of what responsibility does Vons have to, and it's not just Vons, but any of these big tech companies, any of the, any mm. large, any large, because if this was a mom and pop grocery shop, I would, I would have less to say about this. Um, but because Vons is, especially in California, is a giant chain, and in they, yeah. and, it, and it's, it, it's to the point where, if Vons decides to. I'm more of a Stater Brothers guy. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> it, it, like once you, to me, there's a cost and it's not an, an obvious cost, but there is a cost to being, and this gets into the wealth tax idea and things like that, mm-hmm. but there is a cost to um, running a business of that magnitude that um, require, it's not necessarily a physical cost, like a, like a, like a monetary cost, but there is a cost, a responsibility to, um, the the people within the communities yeah, the that you serve, mm-hmm. um, in order to run a business of that magnitude, there was a um I saw a video of Ben Shapiro talking a lot about Ben Shapiro today, but I saw a video of him talking about um I think he was talking about uh, uh Marxism uh in, in at to a college campus um and somebody in the audience was asking him about why he doesn't agree with Marxism and stuff like that and the the you know or the idea that the um what is what is the that the um what what oh, what is i'm trying to remember the exact wording but basically like the uh you know the marxist idea that um the the goods of basically the power should be in the hands of of the workers rather than the the employer basically mm-hmm. there's a there's a specific like term for it, like the goods of consumption or something like that uh, but basically like basically the power of the company should be in the hands of the employees instead of mm-hmm. instead of the workers ben shapiro obviously disagrees with that and he and he says it's because when you start a company you're taking a the lion's share of the risk involved in that company versus someone who's just working there who's taking less of a risk by working there. Now, there's still a risk involved because if the company goes under and you work there, your job is not, not there anymore. But the person yeah. who starts the company, he argues, takes more of a risk and should reap more of the reward, reward for the company's success. I don't disagree with that necessarily. But there is – I think there is a point at which – your company becomes when 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 uh, there's a there's a certain line and i don't know where it is but when enough people rely on your company you have an obligation to those people um to um to where if you're if you drew tomorrow decided to open a restaurant Mm -hmm. you before you start hiring anybody a hundred percent of your responsibility is to yourself and to that business alone right but the moment you start hiring people, the hundred percent starts to get a little bit less of your responsibility to you. You hire, you know, five employees to start your restaurant. Okay, maybe it shifts five percent. Now, ninety-five percent of the responsibility is to you and your bottom line, and five percent goes to the employees. There is a mm. point at which you employ so many people and are such a foundational institution in people's lives. We're not talking about, you know, cold stone creamery where people, you know, just go to Baskin Robbins. This is Vons. Like this is for a lot of people. It's the only store that a, they can afford because not everybody can shop at whole foods and B it's in like within like walking distance or like a short distance to their home. Once what, like when you own a business like that, like Vons's ratio, I would argue, is much higher, should be much higher weighted towards the people that work for them and the communities they serve than the company's quote unquote bottom line. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and obviously I don't run Vons. I don't look at their books. I don't know what their money is like, but I just <laughs> feel like this kind of move was just, I don't know. It's just like a soulless kind of move that I think is, is the, t- the very thing that, you know, was trying to be protected against with, with, with bills like that. And so I don't know. Yeah, well, just... I, think the, I think the bigger the companies get, the easier it is for them to do that kind of stuff, which is the problem. That And that is right? a problem because they have little incentive to do anything else. Yeah. And well, and there's no face to the right. decisions, right? Yeah. Like, and also company... the most conservative small business owners right. are, are, are you are interacting with humans when they have to fire them and right shit, you know like, and, and if this was you know a local mom and pop shop if i get 10 of my friends to stop shopping there because they're they did something shady that affects them significantly yeah. and what i was arguing about this with some of my friends about this vons thing and they're like well vote with your dollars and don't shop there i'm like if that could only matter to vons yeah and this is where this is where the sort of fiscal libertarian thing falls apart for me because we our business our our economy uh, functions best when there are incentives for people to act in a, in a way that serves as many people as possible. Um, and fiscal libertarianism just doesn't work when you have companies that are too big, that they're beyond the reproach of people voting with their dollars. There's, I could not as I could not start a campaign big enough to convince enough people to stop shopping at Vons to where they would ever be incentivized to change the way they do things. And that's yeah. a problem because they're beyond reproach. And it's not just Vons. It's, it's every, every giant tech company, every big business, like there's not enough boycotting you could do that would affect their bottom line. And that, and that's where the government has to step in. You know what I'm saying? And and that's yeah. where, so, you know, all that to say, that's where I think the the sort of like hands off approach to business. Like, I just don't think businesses should be able to do what they want with impunity, especially when they get to a certain size. I think once you start, and 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 that's the thing. It's like, it's not just about how many people you employ, but it's about how much of the. It, it's now become a question of how much wealth do you occupy too, and that's another. That's another. It's a different argument, but I think they're in the same ballpark. Because yeah. if, if you if you if if Tesla or Amazon takes up, you know, the lion's share of the economy of the wealth of the economy of California, they have a like Elon Musk is planning to move, you know, all of his stuff out of California. But I'm like, how can you do that? Like, I, like, I understand why he's doing it. And there are there are good faith arguments to be made about leaving California with a business that size. But my thing is like. Elon Musk and maybe he's a bad example because I mean he's in such niche markets for most of his stuff. Let's take Jeff Bezos. If Jeff Bezos was threatening to move all of Amazon's operations out of California, like in a perfect world, like most of the hours of his day would be spent trying to figure out a way to keep his operations in California before he had to move because mm. of the the level of the percentage of the wealth of the economy of California that Amazon occupies. You know what I mean? He yeah. owes it to the state, not the state as in terms of the government, but he owns it to the well be he owes it to the well being of the people to try to be here and try to make it work as as well as possible. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not just California. It's it's you know countrywide. I think people people that you know t- take their manufacturing offshore, people that's you know all that kind of stuff like you owe it to the people you live around once your business gets to a certain size to take responsibility for keeping your business a part of the economy that helped to grow it to the size that it is, you know? Yeah. 
I don't know. That's just my that's just my pie in the sky kind of thinking. But yeah, I just I don't I don't know how you go about that. I know that's the hard part. I agree. <laughs> I, that's why I think the idea of and I obviously haven't spent a lot of time thinking about how to actually do it logistically. But Andrew Yang's idea about some kind of social um, currency, I think might be the way to go because we need a way we need a way to frankly to be very frank we need a way to monetize shame because we should be able to shame okay, Vaughn's f- he said what <laughs> okay, it's China. true it's true because Drew like our laws because no one wants unless they are laws to prevent violence no one wants people's actions to be um um uh, dictated by force by from a government most people don't want that so the only other option is incentive and once someone is the size of jeff bezos or or elon musk or even vons obviously like they are beyond any kind of economic threat uh, that you can levy at them to, to incentivize their behavior so there has to be some other kind of way to incentivize them to act in a way that benefits people beyond themselves and and we got to figure out a way to do that because that's, that's, it, it, Amazon is too foundational to our existence now to uh yeah, I mean I, I was literally sitting at my table the other day like looking around and trying to figure out what I had bought in that room that wasn't from Amazon. You can't do like, it. Like when the last when the last time I bought something that wasn't on Amazon like in general happened. Which, which is why I mean it you know the argument about the post They have o- really bad Bitcoin merch. <laughs> so nothing related to bitcoin i bought on amazon that's yeah. more of an etsy that's more of an etsy kind of thing yeah so i support my local you know bitcoin artisans by buying their merch on etsy right and 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 that's why i think you know the argument about the post office was you know got got to be a little bit bigger than it should have been or the the idea of you know allowing all of our you know shipping and receiving to go completely into the hands of private companies i just think that's dangerous because, you know, there's no, what what kind of recourse is there? If FedEx loses my if FedEx and UPS are the only companies around that do shipping and there's no post office anymore. Mm-hmm. What incentive do they have to operate ethically at all? I think the people that hate the post office or USPS or are critical of it don't use it. Right. Uh, I used to sell a ton of stuff on eBay and I always use the USPS. Yeah. Like UPS, FedEx. um, they just don't have the reach or the resources. You can't go talk to somebody. Right. I've done a, a ton of shipping, um, and I always use USPS. I don't really know why anybody would use anything else, to be honest. Like, I think I used UPS a couple times for something random. I don't know. I was in an area. I would always have to, like, ship things randomly. Yeah. Like, if I was, like, not at home and then I had something – because eBay, like, who knows when something would sell, like, if somebody buys it now. And then I have to, like, figure out – how to ship something maybe i used ups but i don't know yeah we gotta find i'm perfectly fine um i'm for, perfectly fine with fiscal libertarianism if the consumers have the power have to- have power to incentivize the businesses and if they don't well then i think there needs to be some kind of tool in order to do that and that's where like i'm not a marxist like i don't think that you know the 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 guy pouring the coffee should should be able to dictate to joe mr joe starbucks like what the company's next you know investment should be but so i'm not going to go that far but i will say like until the consumers and the employees have a way 
to incentivize the businesses to act ethic act ethically in a like any in in a meaningful way you cannot just simply allow businesses to do whatever they want to do because the only people once businesses get to a certain size the only people that will suffer will be the workers and the people who have the least amount of power in the situation and to me that's like a, that's a recipe for disaster as we're seeing with the giant tech companies you know yeah they can do what they want with impunity and like no one can say anything about it and if the government tries to do anything they'll cry freedom of speech or they'll cry you know, don't tread on me. And it's like, well, then what can we do? We can't just allow you to be Jesus and do whatever you want. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. We're just, we're just hoping that these billionaires in Silicon Valley, like have our best interests at heart. And it's like, didn't we learn that this doesn't work in the, you know, in the 20th century? Like, didn't, <laughs> didn't we yeah, learn we did. with Enron and, you know, and Bernie Madoff and shit? Like, didn't we know that this doesn't work? <laughs> But no, these guys do yoga and stuff, you know? Yeah, they do <laughs> yoga. Have you seen, is, I think it's a Black Mirror episode. Is it Black Mirror? There's like a hostage situation in a car where the guy got fired from like a big tech company and nobody wants to contact the guy that he wants to talk to who's the CEO of the tech company because he's on like a yoga retreat. Oh, no, I don't think it's, it's like, Black Mirror. I haven't seen that one. I thought it was Black Mirror. It's it's. Uh, it might have been. I don't know. I think it's is it Jared Leto? Is oh, the then I don't think it's Black Mirror. Then I don't think he's been on a Black Mirror. Maybe it's something else. I'll find it and send it to you. But anyway, it's just funny. He's like he unplugs for like weekly yoga retreats, like that in is mountains funny. in like a mansion. <laughs> There's a anyway. uh, uh, one more joke before I let you go. There was a uh, along the same lines. There I saw a. <laughs> Someone sent me a a meme today, and it was like a fake tweet, but it was like <laughs> someone was like, uh, uh, "Poor people, um, poor people are saying help me," and then Republicans, no, Democrats, no. Hashtag Black Lives Matter rainbow flag, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty. Well, at funny. least you feel better about it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, we're not gonna help you, but at least you know we're on your side. <laughs> like what? Yep. <laughs> Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's what we're doing with these tech companies, and it's pretty scary. Um, yeah, but anyway, thank you for indulging uh, this conversation with me, Drew. I always enjoy having you on so I can talk about, you know, the more thoughtful stuff and the not make as many poop jokes. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. It's, it's, it's been fun. Yeah, man. All right. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, pretty much nowhere anymore. I'm just Sick. disconnecting. It's too much... Uh, too much stress for me. Betterbuild.io, uh, right? App, yeah, if you need an app or something, you can you can hit me up on betterbuild.io. Um, I'm building a few apps right now. And, we we uh, got to talk, man. I think I have an app idea that will make us billionaires. Honestly, real talk. We'll talk about it off air. Actually, I'm working on one right now that would be very interesting to you. Um, okay. Let's talk about it. But we talk about it a different time. All right. Um, yeah, you can find me at Asan the DJ across social media. That's at A-H-S-O-H-N the DJ or at my website, uh, Asan.com. You can find episodes of this podcast and more at Weekly Regular on social media and at WeeklyRegular.com. Thank you again to my guest, uh, Bitcoin Drew, and we will see y'all next week. <laughs>